Ladies and gentlemen, live from coast to coast, we proudly present For Your Infilmation with Zach and John. What's going on, buddy? Are you talking to me? I'm talking to you. You're talking to me? You want to come over here? You you want to you want to make a stromboli? You want to make a stromboli or something? You trying to make a cannoli? You trying to make a stromboli? You trying to make a a pizza? You trying to you trying to eat this, this dick, huh? I don't know what's going on. Stromboli uh, or dick or death, your choice. See, we were going down the Italian food route, and you quickly made it like a gay erotica route. Oh, oh I mean. What says Italian more than death and dick? I mean, I don't know. I mean, uh, if you just put pasta sauce on death and dick, you have Italian. I, I want to... You know what? No, I don't want to know how that works. Okay. <laughs> I, I live with Italians. Trust me. Oh, yes. Hey, everybody, and welcome to For Your Infilmation, a podcast about uh, movies and uh, other things. Uh, I'm John. I'm Zach. And uh, today we got a treat for you. We're doing Die Hard. Die Hard. The original Die Hard. There's no dying harder, there's no vengeance, and there's no ruining it with a fifth installment. See, I want to know how many film franchises were actually ruined by the fifth installment. Um, it's usually the third. Really? But in Die Hard's case, the third's actually pretty decent. It's like, you know, the third... I think the third one is my second favorite, other than the first. So for me, it would go... One, three, two, four, and then I don't count five. Most movies are ruined by the third installment. I know that you have a major prejudice against the uh, Return of the Jedi, but I don't think that Star Wars stands up to that. I don't have some sort of weird, like, I can't stand it thing with Return of the Jedi. It's just my least favorite of the original trilogy. Like, my favorites in the original trilogy go one, two, three. Like, there's not many things like that that go like that for me. Interesting. I just feel like um, they didn't quite hit the mark for the ending in Return of the Jedi. However, I think Revenge of the Sith is the best of the prequels. And I have absolutely no faith that Rise of the Skywalker is going to be any good. Because why would it be? It's called Rise of Skywalker. Yeah. They might as well have to... I think they... Did they get it from like a random word generator? Like, hmm, here's some Star Wars words. Make it happen. It's like one of those weird memes that claims to be like, uh, we fed an AI program 10,000 hours of uh, like Olive Garden commercials, and now it makes its own Olive Garden commercial. It's like they're doing that, but with Star Wars movie titles. Exactly. And you want to know something? I hate how dumb I am, because I was like, huh, I wonder how people do this. I would like to do that. And then as I started typing it into Google, I was like, you're a fucking idiot. Someone just wrote that. Yeah, and honestly, it was funnier when I thought that it might be real, and I was like, okay, the, the Google DeepMind is capable of this. The Google Deep, the, Can you imagine just the little like internal monologues that the Google DeepMind has with itself and what that must sound like? It probably sounds like that. I am a simulation. All these people around me are also simulations. And then some professor comes by and squirts the monitor with a squirt gun, and it goes, ah, ah. Right, like you just squirt your cat with vinegar, and it's just like squirting the Google DeepMind with something. Mm. Does the Google DeepMind squirt? Questions that I don't need to know the answer to. Well, I guess Google is over 18 years old now, so it's not like a legal issue, but I still don't want to know. Okay, fair enough. All right. Would you like to get into Die Hard? Yeah, now that we're like a thousand miles off base, um, yeah, so uh, <laughs> uh, Die Hard. Again, keeping with the tradition of movies that I have not seen before and that you are exceedingly familiar with, Die Hard was made in 1988. It was directed by John McTiernan who is also known for directing uh, The Hunt for Red October and Predator, as well as other 80s classics. Yes, and it was released July 12th, 1988. That was the premiere date. So the other thing around Die Hard that I want to get out of the way right now, a lot of people call Die Hard a Christmas movie, and I'm going to disagree. But you know what Die Hard is? What's that? The ultimate Christmas in July movie. I have very mixed feelings on this, and I think, that this movie, Die Hard, is every bit as much a Christmas movie as any of the Home Alone movies. But Christmas is not the centerpiece of it. It's just like the aesthetic of Christmas is around. 
Yeah, that's all Home Alone is too. The movie could have taken place like, I don't know, June 28th and it still would have just been about a kid going against a home invasion. But it just makes it so much more tragic that his family left him because he's an asshole. Well, yeah, it's the same thing for like this movie too, except instead of Kevin McAllister's family leaving him accidentally, John McClane's family left him on purpose. True. True facts. So we begin the movie with John McClane, a New York City cop, going through a divorce, as all New York City cops do. Of course, yeah. But he's come to L.A. to spend time with his estranged wife and kids for the Christmas holiday. He, I think uh, his that... wife's name being Holly. Yes. I think that when you're a New York cop going through a divorce and you leave the city limits of New York City... Your powers degenerate. Like, you can't be like, oh, I was bringing the cannolis home and putting them on the table every night for you people in Los Angeles. It just doesn't work that way. They're like, cannolis? This isn't avocados. No, not at all. Could you imagine a cannoli that was filled with avocado? Just pasty, gooey, oily avocados. Would that technically be an empanada? Don't do this. Don't do this right now. I don't need that. <laughs> or like, in my um, life. like the, the 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 Taco Bell tacos, where they're basically just an apple pie, Ugh. but taco fillings. Just stop this now. It's uh, we're we're <laughs> we're moving on. We're moving on now. So he goes there. Uh, he flies there. He has his gun on the plane. First off, do you recognize that gun, Zach? No, but I guarantee you're gonna tell me. Yep, it's a Beretta 92, the exact same gun from The Wicker Man at 2006. Holy shit. Did we yep. do a thing on accident? No, absolutely not. I definitely did not go through all of the guns used in all of these movies and be like, hey, which one of these has the same gun just so I can talk about it? I for sure didn't do that at any point. Oh, someone who did that would be crazy. Absolutely. Um, so he gets there. These were the good old days when you could bring a gun on a plane and also the good old days where people dressed up to go on planes. And to them, I think at the time it might have been weirder that he didn't dress up to get on the plane than the fact that he was, in fact, carrying a gun on the plane. Well, because back then, guns weren't as scary, I suppose. Uh, it was a pre-9-11 world. It was a different place. It was more, it wasn't used as a status symbol or as a political message. It was just, yeah, I have a gun, whatever. Yep. I'm a cop, this is my gun. Shit. But he's also not on duty, so why does he have the gun? He must have an open carry permit. And do, do you know if in 1988, that like if you had an open carry permit, it, it like went through the entire United States? Because okay. I don't think it's ever been that way. The way that it works, as far as I know, is that the different states are allowed to have different laws for that type of thing. So in California, right, right now, where I live, they do not have an open carry law whatsoever. Like, it is under no circumstances legal for any person that's not an on-duty police officer or, uh, I don't know, something like that, to open carry a firearm. However, you can conceal carry with a permit. Same like with every other state. Like, pretty much every state has a law like that. But with police officers, it's a little different now because of the Law Enforcement Officer Safety Act, which lets them carry guns in other parts of the state or in other parts of the country that are not their jurisdiction because... Police officers make a lot of enemies, so if they know that you're going to Florida to Jimmy Buffett out on the beaches of Destin, and they have a beef with you, like, I don't know, you had like a $750,000 cocaine bust, and all of a sudden someone's got a serious vendetta against you, you can still protect yourself, or at least have a fighting chance when they come after you. Okay, so I guess then that holds up. That was a question I had. Yeah, so I, I, would... I would say that this does hold up at least in the suspension of disbelief type world. In 1988 or 87, I get—I don't know. It probably would have been fine. I don't really know. Okay, fair enough. I'll take it. So I'm getting a little bogged gets... down here on this thing, though. I'm sorry I brought it up. No, 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 no. It's fine. It, it was legitimately interesting. Well, I'm but... glad that someone thought that my nerdiness was interesting. I always think you're interesting, baby. Anyway, oh. so... John McClane is picked up by Argyle in a limousine to take him to Nakatomi Plaza, the place where Holly works, and they are having a Christmas party that night. And I have to say, this might be the dopest use of Christmas and Hollis by Run DMC I've ever seen. Mostly because the only other time I've ever seen it has been in an Old Navy commercial, and fuck Old Navy. You know, there's a lot to unpack in what you just said. And uh, first, I don't think I've heard this song ever before, so I'm glad to have heard it. Uh, second off, the entire movie, I could not remember the name of this building, and I kept calling it Nakahoma Plaza, which sounds like some kind of racist <laughs> Ted Turner thing. <laughs> like, I'm just expecting, like, I'm, during this Christmas I'm party. I'm 18th Native American. 
the, I'm going to name <laughs> <laughs> Just the, the chief Nakahoma coming out at the Christmas party and doing a little dance and everybody clapping. Like, you know, it's just some really insensitive thing. And then John McClane comes in and shoots them all for being racist. I don't know. Pre-9-11 world. Di- different things. I'm just trying to build the movie you want to see, John. Is that the movie I want to see? I mean, it's the movie I want to see. You know what? We'll leave it at that. Okay. <laughs> we, we have you recorded saying that's the movie you want to see. Anyway, so Argyle gets John safely to Nakatomi Plaza, about the only safe thing that's going to happen to him for the rest of the movie. And mm-hmm. he goes in, he tries to check on her. You know, um, he asks for Holly McClane. And it turns out, as he's looking through this ancient-ass touchscreen of names, that she's gone back to using her maiden name. Yeah. Which I thought was a very nice way to get that point across, where it's like, oh, maybe she doesn't want to get back with him. Because, you know, you think, like, they've been estranged for a couple of months. He's coming back to see her. She's invited him. Yes. As far as, far as we know, that's what it seems like. And, you know, so it seems like, oh, maybe the kids are going to get back together. But, mm, she's using her maiden name. Yeah, I they use this to their advantage. Uh, clearly, it has like plot implications, but also they use it a lot in like a cinematic sense, where they'll like pan over the door to her office, and it'll have Holly Gennaro on it. You know what I mean? Yes. Yes. So, they, so they use it. it's it's showing, not telling, which moves the story along a lot faster. It's like okay, everybody gets it. We understand. We don't have to keep saying, "Oh, my estranged wife, Holly Gennaro." Ba 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 ba. She was my wife. It's like, we get it. There is some history here. Exactly. And they definitely didn't linger too far because soon afterwards, uh, once we gloss over all of the like corporate America, old Hollywood, like a touchy touchy going on at the Christmas party. Oh, that... some very not safe for work things happening that would just turn a uh, HR person in 2019's brains to mush. Oh, absolutely. And then... And then these office workers would fuck on top of that mush, and then it would be the 1980s. I guess that's how it was, man. I don't know. Old Hollywood, uh, corporate America type stuff is very, very different from what we see today. And uh, I I don't mean to soapbox it, but uh, I'm kind of glad that it doesn't happen all the time now. You know what I mean? Or at least when it does, we like don't think it's the best. Um, I mean, it's definitely cut down on uh, kids being born on... are kids being conceived on Christmas Eve night at an office party? I mean, I think we've definitely seen that go down. I can't say that I've seen it personally, but I'll take your word for it. Okay. So, moving on from that, uh, so enter the terrorists. I don't know that they have an actual, like, oh, you know what? They do have an actual name. And I wish I could remember what it was off the top of my head. But um, enter Alan Rickman either. as they're Hans Germans Gruber. They're and they're evil. Yes, they're German, they're evil. Uh, it's Alan Rickman as Hans Gruber. Uh, he does a really good job in this role throughout, and he has a whole entourage of uh, nefarious individuals behind him. Yes, he does. And possibly the most annoying character in all of cinema to me, which is Hacker Urkel. I've never bothered to learn his name. That's just who he is. Hacker Urkel? Like that one kid from the Burger King Kids Club that's like super techie? I was making a reference to Urkel, the um, main character pretty much from the show Family Matter. Yes, but also that kid from the Burger King Kids Club who's super techie. You know, I never paid much attention to the Burger King Kids Club, like, lore. I was more worried about the burger part of it. It was a different time, a pre-9-11 America. Pre-9-11 America. Yes. Okay. (laughs) So they enter through the front door, more or less. They come into the garage, they get out of their truck. It's like a disguised box truck type situation. And they just mean business from the get-go they don't try to uh make anything out of what it is other than we're here to fuck shit up so they just shoot a guy and enter the building and you know what that's all it took for all their uh, technology and all them having them uh, I, I don't know be prepared for this type of contingency it just they walk right in and that's where it all starts no password nothing just kind of gets right in there past the guy at the front desk and um, get to work trying to cut everything apart and uh, isolate everyone in the building. Yep, and uh, cut the phone lines and everything. And, and going back to the receptionist, did they have to kill the receptionist? Uh, probably not. I, I don't know. I mean, they basically just like put a guy in his suit and sat him behind the desk for the rest of the movie, didn't they? Yeah, and honestly, they looked very similar. So I thought it was just the same guy for a second. And I was like, did they, 
Didn't they just kill that guy? Didn't they, though? Who knows? Maybe they thought ahead. Maybe they thought ahead to bring a guy that looked exactly like the actual desk guy. You think they thought that far into it? Um, maybe. I don't know. I mean, the, Han seems to be a very smart guy and has everything very well planned out. This whole operation that he's doing is very well planned. It's very rehearsed. They know exactly what they're doing when they get in there. Hacker Urkel knows exactly how to get into this safe. He's hacking the mainframe. He's hacking the mainframe. Nice, nice you... touch. Nice yeah. touch. So uh, they ride the elevator up and they bust right in. They start corralling everybody together. They miss John, but they do bust in on some of that office hanky-panky. This movie has a little bit of boobies in it. So I'm just going to say that coming off of the Wicker Man thing where we ranted about boobies for a little bit and say that they did put that in here. And you know what? Well-rounded. Thanks, man. Well-rounded. Just just a little bit. Just just enough to be you know to, to have the fragrance yeah so holly puts the picture down on her office desk or shelf or whatever so that they can't actually see that she is associated with john and that ends up saving her a lot of trouble throughout the movie uh john in the other room still in the bathroom just takes a big old swig of that evian spring water that's sitting on the counter there just like a great product plug for evian spring swiss alp water and uh mm-hmm. goes to work immediately and uh, then he just gets to work. He jumps right into action. He, uh, I guess he's gone through training for this or something. I mean, um, he is a cop, so believable. Um, I think the one thing that is most notable is that he chooses to not put his shoes on. True. Why? Um, it's the same reason why some guitarists choose to play barefoot, I guess. Um, I, he just does hero shit better with no shoes on. Sure, I guess. Uh, why not? No, he, maybe he's leaving a, uh, a trail so that when they come in later, hopefully with the black lights and the CSI kits, they can see his footprints all over the place. And they'll know exactly what happened after the fact. <laughs> I guess so. So what happens after that, John? Well, he walks up the emergency exit, like you said, barefoot, and uh, sets about trying to undermine the terrorist group. So they single out Mr. Takagi, the terrorists do, and that's kind of where this starts. He does not last that long. He lets him know up front what he wants. Or what they want, I guess. And he says he can't help them. So after some encouragement, uh, he still doesn't have what they're looking for. And they just uh, they just cap his ass. Yeah, they just cap his ass. Brains all over the nice new Nakatomi Plaza windows. Oh, Chief and... Nakahomo would be so disappointed. <laughs> this is not where the brains go. <laughs> yeah, I mean, they, they just they do not waste any time. They're like, okay, if you don't want to give us the information, then we'll just find it ourselves. Pop. Which... Right. And just to clarify, for anyone who hasn't seen this movie, first off, watch the movie. We're going to ruin everything for you. Second off, um, that's going to be like, what, $600 million in, like, uh, savings bonds or something like that? Yeah, which would still be a lot more today, but it just, it doesn't seem like that much to kill all these people over, especially because they're bonds. Like, I, I don't know if you, anyone knows anything about what you have to do with bonds if you steal them. Like, you have to go through a lot, but... You're going to spend at least a million trying to get these things cashed. Or maybe they're going to hold them up for ransom. I don't know what they're going to do. Right. And the only thing that I can piece together for that is these guys, like John says later on, like they have fake IDs and they're really, really good. Like you'd have to know what was happening in order to know that it was a fake ID. Maybe they have someone who could just make them the right person. But then another part of my brain's like, this is the government we're talking about. These are savings bonds or something like it. And I bet they are tracked by number to the person that they are issued out to. Yeah. And also, let's say... Let's say even if they find someone to pose as Mr. Takagi, um, all of these hostages are definitely going to report that he's dead and definitely report what happened here, even if you get away with it. Oh, yeah. So, as soon as the police enter the building, that's what they're going to start doing is trying to collect all that information. Yeah. So I, I want to know how in the hell they plan to like pull this Bond thing off. But you know what? It's an action movie. I digress. Right. So after this scene, uh, Hacker Urkel sets to work hacking the mainframe, trying to get through all the locks. I guess there's seven locks, right? Yeah, there's seven locks. He can get through six of them with his little drill. Mm -hmm. I I guess it's not a little drill, but, you know, with his drill. But the seventh one has to be broken with explosives. So this is like a way more threatening version of like Sly Cooper, Thievius Raccoonus, where like Bentley, the turtle guy, is just going ham on the thing while everybody else just, I don't know, guards the door. I have to admire that you decided to go with the third entry in the Sly Cooper franchise. That was that was that was a deep, deep pull. And I'm proud of you. 
Is Stevia's Raccoonus the third one? I thought it was the first one. Is it the first one? I don't know. I don't know anything about Sly Cooper. I redact my statement. You missed out on not knowing about Sly Cooper. What a great game. I didn't have a PlayStation 2. I had an Xbox. Oh, yeah. So... You were one of those people. Well, okay. So, but did you get to play Blink's The Time Sweeper? I don't think you did. I did, and I don't remember it. We're getting off base again, but this is going to be bookmarked and come, like, we're going to come full circle later. Okay. So, John gets one of these guys. He gets the drop on him. They fight. He kills him kind of on accident. I mean, clearly he didn't have any holds barred, but he did fall down the stairs with him, and he came out on top not being dead. So, he does the whole thing where he takes his stuff, and then he uh, puts, like, a... I don't know, come get me, motherfuckers, ho, 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 or something like that, and puts him down the elevator to where they find him. And that's, like, an iconic scene from this movie that I didn't know anything about before watching. Oh, yeah, I mean, like, this is, like, this is, like, beyond iconic. I mean, like, I've seen people with T-shirts that have that phrase written on it. I believe it's, um, now I have a gun, good luck, ho, ho, ho. Yeah. Like, it's a, if you're going to do an, uh, if you're going to an ugly Christmas sweater party this year, this would be a great one. Oh, of course. And the whole time that this is going on, there is this ominous ode to joy theme that is playing throughout. It's just woven into the soundtrack and constantly makes an appearance. Just if you forgot it was Christmas time. For whatever reason, Beethoven's Ode to Joy is Christmassy and it will remind you that it's Christmassy. Or is it Christmas in July? You know what? Um sure, yeah, it's Christmas in July. Uh, he tries the fire alarm trick leading up to this point, and that kind of works, but not really. Um, and then he tries to call on the radio, and this becomes a major complication for everyone involved, because it doesn't work out for him, but it also doesn't help the terrorists. Yeah, so it's kind of a we both lose here, but mostly uh, John loses here, because now they know that he's in the building and that he's trying to stop them. Yeah, they have a better idea who he is and what he's capable of. Exactly. Because before this, they were just like, oh, shit, were there some other terrorists here? Yeah, oh, were we not the only ones that showed up tonight? Wouldn't that be something, though? <laughs> just had the whole movie be about these Germans having their plot unfoiled by another terrorist. Oh, yeah, there's like four other guys that showed up to do the exact same thing. And then they're all just like, hey, what are you doing here? What are you doing here? And then they just go, I, I, I don't know. It, it just, it basically just becomes a dumb and dumber thing. Exactly. Uh, well, that I, I becomes a comedy. Maybe that was the alternate version of this script if they didn't get this one made. You know what? One thing that I don't understand and still don't understand is he's running through all these construction zones. And like, I get it, the building's under construction. But there's one passageway that he goes through several times that is full of porno there's just like porno plastered to the wall who does this i was thinking the same thing like i don't think osher would approve of that not at all and i get it it's a pre-9-11 america things were different but like i never understood how this is a thing because it's not the first time i've seen this but i can't say that i've seen this like in person before and i don't know what no. the need is it's like what you're just walking by carrying a two by four over to the next room to where you can use and be like huh tits yeah and well, then just keep going that. I guess so, but not only that, it's a porno calendar. So, yeah. like, what do you do? Are you writing down, since they're construction workers, are they, like, writing down, like, the finished dates for the things they need to do? Like, oh, man, we only got three days left. Oof, we got a shit ton to do. But, hey, there's my girl. Like, is that what's happening here? I don't know. I, I couldn't imagine it being for any other purpose. I mean, it is a calendar, but, like, isn't that where they would also put, like, their personal effects? Like, if they were, like... Jimmy has a doctor's appointment to see the orthopedist or orthopedia Dr. Schultz to see Dr. Schultz at 1130. <laughs> yeah, to go see Dr. Schultz. Oh my god. You know, just like bunion removal. Like, and then just porn on top of that? Like, yeah, you of have course. to like porn a lot. Uh, maybe so. I don't know. I don't want to think about that anymore. <laughs> okay. So, okay, so go ahead. Sorry. Oh. All of this fighting and all this gunfire and stuff would have been easily visible from any other point in the city. Like, from where Sergeant Powell makes his entrance, where he's in the gas station and he grabs some Twinkies and it's like, oh yeah, it's Christmas. And, you know, like all that stuff, he goes out, he gets the call, and you see the building behind him. You're like, he totally would have been able to see that. Like, he could have just looked up and been like, hey, what, what's all that? What's all that flashing? What is it? Like a... Like a Christmas rave? Like, no, and it's also, not. Also, I They're think there's a window broken at this point as well. Yeah, there's a window. Yeah, even without the window broken, it would have been a hard sell to be like, that guy, like, three blocks away didn't hear all of that automatic submachine gun fire. Like, no, absolutely not. Unless Nakatomi Plaza is, like, soundproof for some reason, which that's terrifying. Yeah, and let's not forget the 
wheelie chair full of C4 that he kicked down an elevator shaft. Yeah, that's going to be a giant explosion. Someone would have heard that. It is at least a noisy explosion. And yes, for sure, someone would have called that in. I mean, like, hey, so, um, yeah, there's like a, like a bomb that went off over there, like two blocks away. Like, I, I, I don't know. Maybe there was like a backfire in engine. I don't know, man. Yeah. And then also, while we're here on the elevator, so he destroys the elevator, and then they have to use stairs for the remainder of the movie. And my only question is, in this billion-dollar building, there's one elevator? Yeah. Uh, maybe this was like a Richard Simmons-inspired design? I don't know. It sounds like an H.H. Holmes-inspired design. Yeah, you know what? You're probably right. It it ended up working out more on the H.H. Holmes side, I think. I think, as far as death goes. Right. So, uh... They have a few gunfights, and nobody hits anybody at first, except John sometimes, I guess. Um, Sergeant Powell shows up in Mm -hmm. his patrol car, gets out, looks around, meets the guy at the desk. He's the other guy. He's not the original desk guy. Kind of walks around. He's like, oh, yep, it's good. And then they just unload on his car. (laughs) Because, oh, well, I guess he was here, so he's got to die. Yeah, I guess so. Like, what did they think was going to happen? They were just like, you know what? Fill that shit full of holes. Like, he's driving away. You could have just let him go, and nobody would have been the wiser. But no, they wouldn't have been 80s movies bad guys if they didn't, you know, fuck it up at every possible turn. But... Don't they also have a radio? Can't they hear him radio back to the station and be like, yeah, man, it's all good? Well, I mean, yeah, I guess so, because he got in touch with the radio. John got in touch with the police um, frequency earlier in the movie, so I guess so. And surely that would have been a part of their plan. Surely they would have known what the police frequency was going in. I mean, they know everything else. They would have had to. Well, their colossal... Uh, screw up becomes the cavalry and so the rest of the police department shows up mm-hmm. uh, John talks to Hans he gives him the ultimatum he tells him where he is hits him with the yippie kaye motherfucker and that's like a big thing for this movie that well that's the catchphrase that that's like the big catchphrase like everyone was saying this July whatever of 1988 just yippie kaye motherfucker oh uh, yeah all, all the kids that got their mouths washed out with soap because again pre-9-11 America and also watch your mouth kid yeah. so John starts radioing down as the police are there to tell them about what's going on inside and the deputy sheriff shows up and starts being a total asshole to everybody uh and he wants nothing to do with it. He wants to be totally skeptical. He doesn't want John's help. None of that stuff. Not knowing what he's getting himself into. They pull out the floodlights and they start shining them right up so they can't see what they're doing. And um, things get complicated. And, you know, not to slow us down again, but when I watched this movie as a kid, I thought that guy was a total asshole. And as I watched this movie as an adult, I was like, he's right. How the fuck do they know he's not a terrorist too? Like... That's a perfectly reasonable thing to say. And yet they make him such an asshole. It's like, no, that's very reasonable. How do you know that that's not just one of the terrorists fucking with you? Like, come on. (laughs) We live in a post 9-11 world now. I guess so. And that must be all it is. Um, But John's in there smoking inside, which personally I think is one of the worst things you could do when you're trying to hide from someone inside of a building. Well, it was the 80s. Everyone was smoking in the building. So everything just smelled like cigarette smoke all the time? Have you ever been in an old building? Like, Uh, in an old building that used to be an office, it smells like cigarettes. (sighs) I I guess, but there's a difference between stale smoke and, like, you go up the stairs and you're like, hey, you smell that? Yeah, well, some, someone is actively smoking in this construction zone. That is not allowed. OSHA is going to be very upset. I mean, I don't know if 1988 OSHA would have been upset about that. It's Los Angeles. Oh, that's fair. Okay, moving on. So, the police raid commences. Uh, the FBI is on the way. They're not there yet. Uh, they send in the car. They send in this big armored car. It's the fucking Batmobile from the Christian Bale series. I'm glad that I'm not the only one that thought that. It. I mean, this thing is armed to the T. Absolutely. And it's... I don't want to call it a military vehicle because it's not really. It's just like a SWAT car, but still, like, th- that's a Batmobile. Like, you have a Batmobile. Like, I get they're the LAPD or whatever, but, like, th- that's Batmobile. That's for sure a Batmobile. Also, this is when the glass starts. These were the good old days when buildings weren't made completely with suicide-proof glass. Oh, man, when you could jump out of a building when you just had enough. Just throw your office chair at the window and dive, dude. You're going to have a great time plummeting to the ground. Unless you somehow forgot you're only on the fifth floor and now you're gonna hurt. Yeah. Um, instead of jumping out, they shoot a rocket uh, down at the freaking 
Batmobile. Yes. And it destroys it somehow. Uh, I figured yeah. they would have thought ahead to that. Well, I don't know. Maybe they didn't plan for people to have rocket launchers, but I mean, it's a terrorist organization. And I mean, it's, I don't know, it's Los Angeles. There's probably a couple rockets sitting around there somewhere. Oh, man. Yep. The police, the police attempt to enter the building, like just actual men try to enter the building and they start to press fire on them and stuff and kill a bunch of police officers, kill a bunch of our boys in blue. Oh, yeah. Back to blue. And um, then uh, John decides what any reasonable person would do. And he builds a pipe bomb and blows up the entire first floor to stop them from killing these police officers. Yeah, he, he dropped a bunch of C4 down the elevator shaft. That's one thing that kind of pissed me off about this movie was like, for all of the militarized stuff that's going on, like this is a highly organized terrorist group and clearly they're going to have this kind of stuff, I guess. But um, C4 doesn't do that. C4 like, doesn't do that. No, C4 is not like a really like fiery big explosion. It's actually kind of modest. It's really loud and it's really like, um, I guess impact generating like it makes a lot of shock but it doesn't make a lot of fire hmm. like because it's a plastic explosive and i mean I, i'm not like an expert on plastic explosive or anything but but it's not like a it's not like a fire bomb it's not like a molotov cocktail it's not going to give you that big cloud of fire huh I, it's very I, hollywood well yeah i mean do you so you don't think it would have blown up the elevator shaft it just would have made like a loud boom oh no it absolutely would have blown up the elevator shaft but it would not have been that big fiery ball that went up the elevator shaft oh okay fair enough so like uh yeah, like a half and half. They're doing better so far than many other movies that I've seen. True. So and then, oh, go ahead. Let's talk about Harry Ellis. Let's talk about this guy that tries to negotiate with the terrorists, breaking rule number one of dealing with terrorists. He's trying to make a deal with the terrorists. Yes. <laughs> oh, God, this poor, dumb douchebag. Yeah, I oh, think between goodness. Triss from Nick and Nora's Infinite Playlist and Harry Ellis, this guy, I, I don't know which one I dislike more. Um, This guy is a sleazy, sleazy nine and a half. Uh, the guy from Nick and Nora, he's a solid seven. He's more creepy than he is douchey, I would say. What about Nick's girlfriend, ex-girlfriend? I mean, she's just an asshole. Exactly. So... This guy tells the terrorists about John, gets a Coca-Cola out of the deal, and then gets himself shot. I don't feel that bad about it. Yeah, I mean, it's just, like, you stupid, stupid douchebag. Like, no one deserves to die, but this guy deserved to die. Like, you are so stupid. Like, I don't even know what he was trying to do. Was he trying to get with Holly? Because um, it sounded like he was trying to get John killed. Honestly, um, I didn't think that he did that. But now that you're bringing it up, I mean, who knows? Maybe. I mean, I wouldn't put anything past that guy. He, he's a real jerk. He, he's like, he's the real villain of the film. Corporate America is the real villain of this blood and guts movie. Right. And right after this is where Hans demands that the... FBI contact, like, I don't know, the UN or Interpol or whatever, and set these random prisoners free around the world. Uh, and it's ultimately just a distraction, just so they can buy more time, right? Exactly. Like, because he said he's giving them two hours, so that, me that means that's two hours uninterrupted that they're not going to try and get in the building. Yeah, and you know what? It worked. And nowadays, I, I don't know what the process is. I don't know what the procedure is. I don't know how the FBI works now. But I don't think they would have done that today. Exactly. Yeah, no, they would have been like, um, let's see. What's the, uh, what's the casualty rate on this? Um, we'll lose about 15 people. Blow it up. You know like what, man? That, that would be the solution today. Hey, if Harry Ellis taught us anything, it was to not negotiate with the terrorists. You have to at least try. Well, once but you got your Coca-Cola out of it, what more did you really think you were going to get? You got one more Coca-Cola right before you died. I mean, isn't that how everyone should go out? Like, as you're dying, like, the doctor's like, oh, here's a Coca-Cola. Oh, thank you. Go, go, go. Again, with the product placements, though. Like, between the Evian spring water and the Coca-Cola and the... I don't know, all the other stuff? I don't know. It's Anyway, after this is one of the best scenes in the movie where Hans meets John in person. Yes. And he tricks him by donning a uh, fake, somewhat Southern American accent. And, um, you know, John gives him a gun, like, hey, you're going to have to come with me if you want to get out of this alive. And then after, you know, some, you know, he, Hans, between the boys, Hans finally reveals who he really is and points the gun at John and starts to fire. And he realizes there's no bullets in the gun because John foresaw this coming. And I have to now ask, how? Well, 
if you've listened to our review and uh, I don't know processing of what happened in the Wicker Man 2006 version, you will know how much I am pissed off about this scene and how it was able to happen. Let me let me hear how you're so mad. We have already covered this at length in the last one. It is the exact same gun and the exact same thing. Okay, so uh, suspension of disbelief for a second. Okay, so like. All right, Nick Cage, uh, Ed, in the last movie, uh, he was carrying the gun around all the time. It was his service weapon. He like he knew it really well because he was a cop. Okay, well, John McClane's also a cop carrying the same gun, and he gives it to another guy. Hans is a terrorist mastermind who is frequently using guns. The gun is designed to be balanced in the hand when loaded. Hands him an empty gun, and he just doesn't even check. He doesn't even like pull the magazine out and be like, oh, look at that. Huh. He didn't even ask, hey, how many bullets are in this thing? He didn't even pull it out and look. He's just like, huh, oh, yeah, all right, cool, whatever. Really? You really think that that's how that would go down? I, I guess not. No. I mean, I, I don't know anything about guns, so I'm going to take you at word for it. Hans was in the middle of a double cross. He had all the cards. And then he just fucked it up by not checking to see if there were bullets. He shouldn't even have had to have checked. By design, it's supposed to be balanced when you have bullets in it. Also, after he found that out, why didn't he just hit him with the gun? That's what you do. Have <laughs> none of these people played Halo. Dude, just just throw it at him. You're better off just throwing it at him and running. Because at yeah, least when you throw it at heavy. him... Yeah, there's a chance that he's not going to just, I don't know, hit you. If you throw the gun at him, he might not be able to shoot you when you turn around and run away. Yeah, you can at least take that chance. But instead, you're done. Jesus Christ. So after this, they immediately get into another shootout. Yes. uh, Backup arrives almost immediately and hands Hans a a automatic rifle. Yes, I think it's an MP5. Uh, That's a really, really common gun for this. Also a 9mm. Hey, fun fact. And it also doesn't hold fucking a thousand bullets. Hey, man. Hollywood magic. You know what? You're right. They they realize quickly that they, they can't just shoot John. Like, that's not how this is going to go. Smartest villains I've ever seen. So they decide to just shoot out all the glass and hope that maybe a shard will, like, break his fucking neck or something. Or, like, it, pierce his skin at least. They definitely got their wish. They, they trapped him in there with all that broken glass knowing that he was barefoot. And it was a good move on their part. I'll give him that. Like, if I were... Not if I were in a situation like that, but I imagine if I found myself or anyone found themselves in a situation like that, that's probably the first thing they would try to do. Oh, yeah. Like, just get him with some broken glass. If anything, it'll at least stop him for 30 minutes. Exactly. Buying time. Because that's all they're doing at this point is buying time. You know, the FBI is on the phone trying to see what they can do about this stuff. Because I guess they just took the bait that way. And John is trapped in a room with a bunch of broken glass. And that's exactly what they wanted to. And he has to walk on it to get out. There's no other uh, way of doing it. Yeah, it's not like he can just um, climb on top of that shit. I mean, it's all construction stuff, so it probably hurt him even more to try and climb on top of, like, whatever that shit was, like those cubicles, to try and walk around it. So, yeah, I mean, this was back when men were men. He was like, well, I gotta walk across some glass, I gotta walk across some glass, whatever. Yeah, when men were men, like, is that a garden hose full of fake blood in your pants, or you just, uh, you happy to see me? Mm, I think you need a therapist. Anyway, so... John is talking to uh, the dad from Family Matters, um, who also, this guy plays a lot of cops. Like, oh, his, yeah? his two most recognizable roles are as cops. So in this and in Family Matters, he plays a cop, basically the same character. Yeah, that's um, Reginald Val Johnson, for those of you that don't know. Reginald Val Johnson. Um, and so he's talking to him, at Al, in the movie. As John's pulling the glass out of his feet, he's talking to Al. We find out that Al accidentally shot a kid, and that's why he's been on death duty or night patrol. And you want to know something else that ties those two characters together? What's Paul that? Paul Winslow on Family Matters also shot a kid on accident for the same reason. I... <sighs> How? How does he play the same character? Is it the same character? They might as well be the same character. So Die Hard takes place in the Family Matters universe, and you can't tell me any different. So that being said, is this actually an Urkel-type character, or is this just like a freak coincidence that they happen to be in the same place at the same time? It's just a freak coincidence that they happen to be in the same place at the same time. It's just, oh, that just irks me so bad. Like, now I have to think about this. Yeah, uh, man, I just, oh, you're digging too much up for me right now. Like, I, I'm really having a hard time processing these two things. Like, it, it was one thing 
thing when it was like a Michael Sarah thing. And we were like, oh, hey, uh, what's up with Michael Sarah playing all these same characters in all these different movies? And now it's getting to be like a, what's up with this guy that shot all these goddamn kids? <laughs> Did he shoot two kids or is it the same kid? I gotta know. I gots to know. Uh, that is a big difference. Two dead kids or one dead kid. That is that's not that's not a difference to play around with. It's kind of like, uh, did you ever see that drug PSA where it's like, uh, I can't remember what actor it is, but he goes into like a, a coroner's office with like the refrigerated um like uh, bodies, like in a morgue. Sorry, yeah. and he pulls out one kid. And it's like this kid died from doing illegal drugs. This kid died in a car accident. Which one of them's more deader? More, more deader? Yeah, which one of them's more dead? Which uh, one are, of them's more dead? Is the purpose of the commercial to make me, like, think about which, which one is worse? Well, or to make I, me think that they're the same? That they're the same. Like, if you do drugs, you're gonna die. But I would say, like, this person died of old age. This person, it's like, we're all gonna die. That's the point here. Choose how you want to die. I, I want to see another commercial where it's the same guy in the same place where he opens the first drawer and it's this guy. And it's just like, this guy shot a kid with a toy gun and then pulls the other one out. It's like, this guy also shot a kid with a toy gun. Which one is not dead? Uh-uh. Well, now I'm dead. Now I want to die. I don't want to answer that question because I don't <laughs> think it's answerable. Don't think it's answerable. All right, well, we'll just leave that up to the, the writers, I guess. They, they have plenty of other films to rectify this wrong. I don't even know. I haven't seen any of the other ones. This is the first time I'd even seen this movie. Okay, fair enough. All right, so then the FBI shuts down the power, and it opens the safe. Thanks, FBI. FBI foils FBI terror plot. Fucking idiots. Yeah, they, they didn't think that one through all the way. You'd think they'd have some guy in an office somewhere just pounding away at a keyboard trying to figure out what this situation is and what they're trying to do, or like some kind of recon operation, but no, they're just like, no, nah, shut it off. It's good. Don't worry about it. Yep, and they're just playing this thing by the book, man. Like they didn't know what the book said they were supposed to do. Yeah, well, because the book would have said, blow it up, fuck it. Pre-9-11 America, Zach. It was a pre-9-11 America. Fair enough. This is back when we cared about people for some reason. Anyway, this will take us to the climax of the movie. Oh, yeah. And John finds out that they have wired the roof to blow. Which, was that their plan the whole time, or is this because John pissed them off? You know what? I think it was their plan the whole time. Like, they knew that they'd try to land helicopters on the roof, so they were like, Hey, man. Just uh, load the top of the elevator up with uh, up with C4. And you know what? He's got that radio up there. He discovers that they're doing this, and he's got the radio right there by his head. He's like 18 inches from the nearest jerry-rigged explosive device. And I'm going to go out on a limb and say, I don't think that's a place you want to have a radio. No, because any frequency could set that thing off. It's definitely a risk, and that's not a risk I'm trying to take. And I, I guess he didn't know it was there when he got there, but he was not very eager to leave either. No, and while that's happening, because of what uh, Douchey McTouchy's uh, information gave him, Hans captures Holly. Oh yeah, and, yeah, he does. And then um, as they find out that that's happening, the FBI sends in gunships, li yes. literal gun helicopters that are straight out of a video game. Like, it's literally just like Apocalypse Now. Yeah, I, I, I refuse to believe that these are real. Like, these are real things that they had. Like, how impractical is this helicopter? They probably just called up the National Guard, like the Air National Guard, and were like, hey man, uh, federal emergency, uh, you gonna help us out? And then some guy over there who's like looking for motions like, uh, oh yeah, I'm uh, gonna get my guys going right now. Because, I mean, that's just how that shit works, man. That's just, that's just government work. And so they're like, oh, yeah, 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 scramble helicopters. And so, like, they go and they do their whole thing, and then the FBI guys hop on. That's the most skeptical part about it to me, is that the FBI guys could just hop on the helicopter. Like, they have absolutely no training in how to operate out of the helicopter. They don't know what it does. They don't know what the safe like, limits I'm are. Shoot some baddies. Yeah, exactly. And it's Hollywood. I get it. It's Hollywood. But, I mean, if you're going to go that far, like, just do it right. Exactly. And then. John finds out about all of this, rushes up to the roof, and can't seem to get the people to get down off the roof, so he starts shooting in the air, which only makes <laughs> the air gunships start shooting at him. And then John knows this thing is going to blow, so he has to hook himself up to a fire hose. A fire hose. Yeah. And jumps off the building. As the roof explodes and doesn't immediately crumble the building. He handles Somehow this in the some... most 
way. King Kong way possible. Exactly. And then he narrowly crashes through these, as we mentioned before, non-suicide proof windows. Right, yeah, you could just, it works both ways. You could go in, you can go out, you could do whatever you gotta do, man. Whatever, whatever gets the job done. So, just so everyone knows, if you're listening to this and you're planning on saving some sort of business plaza, if you're stuck on the, on the side of the building, you will not be able to crash through that window. You will need a highly powered explosive... And you will also be a terrorist. Yeah, I mean, you're forcing entry into the building. That, that's a crime. Yeah, it, it doesn't really matter how you slice it. You're going to be committing a crime. Yep, and then, um, let's see. As that's happening, the Hans and uh, Packer Urkel get all the bonds, get all the valuable shit out of the safe. Um, yeah, that was one thing that I wanted to talk about. They get into this safe, and, I mean, they could have had anything in this safe. It could have been a whole, like a ruse, like there was no stuff in there. It could have just been a computer where you can, like, I don't know, edit the account information of the bank account that holds all the stuff. They could have had, like, all 26 flavors of the Dr. Pepper. Uh, they they could have had, like, what I would do for a fucking Klondike bar. But no, it, it's just Bonds and, like, some samurai over. And, like, a painting, and I can't remember what painting it is. I meant it's, to look it up. It's just, like, exactly what they thought would be in there. Like, they couldn't even pull, like, a, like, they couldn't even do that. Like, I, I feel like that would have been... That's like the ultimate safe cracker movie right there, is where they go through all this stuff just to get it, and it's not there. Or, like, it's not what they thought it was, so they make do. Like, could you imagine if it was, like, I don't know, the David, and they were just <laughs> trying to, like, get that thing out and into the truck? Jesus. And then, um... So, the... So, Hacker Urkel tries to escape with all the shit, and then gets rammed by Argyle, who's been sitting there waiting for John this whole time. We need to end black-on-black violence. <laughs> In this case, warranted. You know what? Um, I'm gonna agree with you on that one. And, um, John now has two bullets left. He checks his chamber, two bullets. And that'll bring us into this grand finale. One of the best finales of any movie I've seen. So... John goes to confront Hans, who also has Holly. Because I guess Hans didn't want to escape with the bail with the bonds. He just wanted to he wanted to get one over on John. So John comes up to him, hands in the air, like, you got me. You got me. Just let her go. You can have me. See, this is like where Hans pulls a real like I have the high ground Anakin situation where he's just like he knows it's not gonna work out. He knows that it, everything's gone awry. So he's just going to take him down while he can. Yep. And then, you know, of course, Hans has backup in there. It's the receptionist guy and uh, that one big blonde dude. And the one John, big blonde guy. John has the gun taped to his back as if they wouldn't have checked that. But you know what? It's still cool as shit anyway. I'm also going to go out on a limb and say that the gun wouldn't work. The, the tape would have stuck to the slide and it would have kept the slide from working. Like, you literally just have to push on the slide a little bit and the gun doesn't work anymore. Yeah, I agree. But you know what? Nevertheless, both of Hans's henchmen with the two bullets he has left and um, somehow shoots the terrorist and Hans. Hans falls out of the window and um, he's holding on to Holly, but John gets him off by tip by taking a bracelet that he bought for Holly off, and Hans falls to his death. You know, I think the thing on Holly's wrist was actually the Rolex watch that the company gave her. Oh, was it? Okay. I think it was. I always thought it was the, um, it was a bracelet that he gave her, but I think you had a more keen eye on that one than I did. I think I just realized the Rolly. Uh, you know, I saw it when I saw it, and I was like, hey, Rolly, Rolly, Rolly. You know, like, that shit that they always do these days. Like, uh, there's been, like, a resurgence in interest in Rolex, and I don't really know what that's all about. Like, it's a, it was cool in like the 70s to have a rolex and be like oh a rolex watch like yeah absolutely and then people stop giving a fuck about watches because we have iphones and now if you're like uh yeah rolex i got it because i want it not because i have to have it because you know a watch is a luxury item now again exactly like you don't need a watch ever As a matter of fact you don't even need to know what time it is ever see <laughs> <laughs> i don't want yeah all right sure <laughs> for sake of argument yeah, sure. All right, cool. That, that's fine. Um, in this sequence, uh, we also see down on the ground where the deputy sheriff is talking to Al like he's his buddy again. Because, I mean, I guess he didn't like that the FBI took all that stuff right out from underneath his nose the same way he took this whole thing right out from underneath Sergeant Howell's nose. Powell. Yeah, Sergeant Powell's nose. And uh, so I guess they're friends again. I guess I guess that that's a thing. Yep. And then John and Holly reconcile. And 
John is walking away from the ambulance like he doesn't have 15,000 cuts and non-working feet anymore. And a gunshot wound. He did get shot once. He did get shot once, so how, 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 I don't know. Yeah, and also the fact that, okay, we're just going to go ahead and skip to the end here, where uh, Sergeant Powell, Powell, Sergeant Powell, again, Sergeant Powell, shoots the, the last terrorist that comes up, who somehow just, I guess, stumbled out of the building, made it all the way down the stairs, and was like, ah, he holds up the AUG or whatever rifle he has, and then Sergeant Powell's like, not today, motherfucker, and just, like, pops him. And, like, that's awesome. And it feels really good. It looks terrible. It, it, it it's, looks... it's not a good-looking scene. Like, I guess at the time, maybe the standards were a little bit different. But, like, you couldn't do that in a movie today without people being like, really? That's the cheesiest shit I've seen in my entire life. But, however, one of the only times I can think in a movie where I've seen a black cop shoot a white guy and it be the right thing to do. I've never seen it happen other than this movie. And you know what? progressive i like it i'm gonna be looking out for that when it happens from here on out and i'm going to bring this up every time hell yeah yeah um so he hops in the limo and drives away like nothing ever happened like the fbi would just be like oh yeah man it's good have a good christmas we'll talk later well i think he just blended in with the other hostages i think they just never found out who he was and i guess that also means he can't take credit for it but i mean holly does say no it's holly mcclain not Gennaro. Yeah, but and only also for like two weeks. That douchebag newscaster who threatened their housemate, who is Consuela from Family Guy, and yes. did all this other garbage, bringing their kids into it, and just harassing everybody involved. That guy has already outed them. He already knows who they are, and has said it on national television. Oh, that's true. So John McClane definitely should be losing his police badge. 100%. I mean, it should at least be under investigation. And it's not like he did the wrong thing. I'm not even going to go out on a limb and say he did anything wrong here. But I am going to say that, like, they would not have let him leave just willy-nilly. Like, again, it's a pre-9-11 America that they were living in. Uh, yeah, no, no, no. Even that does not save this scene from this gross miscalculation of how this would work out in real life. And then even then, like, what are they going to do? They're going to go back to her apartment, bang, and then just have Christmas like it's normal? Um, hell yeah. Like they didn't just almost die? He's this got this gunshot wound through America. his arm. Just, uh... You know what? I'm just gonna say this is this is a good movie. I think it's fine. Uh, this was one of Bruce Willis's defining career movies, if I'm not mistaken. Yes. Uh, and it was also a commercial success. Uh, what was that? A budget of 28 million and a box office gross of uh, what? 140? Yeah, 140 million. And also, um, Bruce Willis did a lot of his own stunts for this movie and was paid five million dollars at at the time that was unheard of for one of these dumb action movies five million dollars well you know out of 140 i mean that's less than five percent i'm gonna go out and just do some quick math here and say that's like three percent of the box office gross oh exactly and um just because i didn't find i didn't get to get this factoid out during the thing I just want to say, uh, this movie was called The Towering Inferno in Europe, because the term Die Hard was not very well known there. Um, I think it's a New Hampshire is live free in Die Hard, or something like that. I thought they were just buying those uh, batteries for their cars. Yes, they are. But anyway, so in Europe, this movie was called The Towering Inferno, and they had to go back and change it when uh, Die Hard became a franchise. So Die Hard is still known as Die Hard in Europe, but just that first one, Towering Inferno. You know, I'm sure there's a couple other examples where this has happened in film history. I can't really pull any of the top of my head, though. Oh, yeah. We'll fi- as we go through things, we'll find things like that. But yeah, there really are so many sequels for this movie, though. Uh, yes. Uh, Die, two, Die Hard 2, Die Harder, Die Hard with a Vengeance, Live Free or Die Hard, and A Good Day to Die Hard. A good day to forget that movie exists. Um, All right. (laughs) No need to tell me how you feel about it, Zach. Oh, no. I mean, it's, you know, that horrible thing in Kingdom of the Crystal Skull where you find out that Shia LaBeouf with his kid the whole time and it's like, what? I haven't seen that movie and I did that on purpose and this is why. Yep. And so that's the same thing with A Good Day to Die Hard. I'm 98% sure it's the same script. Anyway, I think I need a drink after all this action and horrible 80s cheesiness uh john what do you got to wet my whistle well uh i'm gonna go ahead and start doing this in every single episode 
please drink responsibly. Please drink responsibly. Please don't drink this while you're on, listening to this podcast on your way to work. Um, Although I gotta say, if you beverage. have a whole bar in your car on the way to work, I think you might need to examine some other things that you're doing. But you are a true American, and I'll salute you for that as you're lowered into your grave. But, John... Tell us about your cocktail for this week. Okay, so this one's called the Yippie Kaye Blue Motherfucker. So for those of you that are familiar with the Blue Motherfucker, it's like a, it's a pretty common cocktail. It's easy to make. It's like uh, one part vodka, one part blue curacao, and one part sweet and sour mix. So like uh, if you were doing ounces, you could be like two ounces of this, two ounces of that, and two ounces of the other. I don't like to do parts. I usually like to go with more exact measurements using ounces and sometimes even milliliters if you need to be really, really precise. So for this particular one, uh, it's going to be served in a chilled pint glass. So grab yourself a favorite beer glass, stick that shit in the freezer, and come back to it when it's cold. So you're going to pull that out. You're going to put some grenadine straight in the bottom of the glass and put ice cubes on top of it. Careful not to disturb the layer of grenadine at the bottom because that's important. So then you're going to put it back in the freezer, right side up this time. Right side up. That's that's extra important. So what you're going to do is you're going to take your cocktail shaker. Uh, You're going to put some ice in there. You're going to have two ounces of vodka, one ounce of triple sec, one and a half ounces of lemon juice, and a half ounce of lime juice. And you're going to shake all of that well with ice, and you're going to pour that gently into the ice-filled cocktail glass so that you don't disturb the grenadine on the bottom. I say again, that is important. That's extra important. Now for the final and most important ingredient. You're going to take yourself some Voltage Mountain Dew, and you're going to pour that into the top, layering the blue, the white, and the red layer on bottom, and that'll be it. That's your Yippie Kaye Blue Motherfucker. Beautiful. You know what? I will say, of all the cocktails I made on this show, this one might be my favorite. Just because of the pure alcohol and sugar content, or just the whole overall um, theme? Oh, it's the flavor. Uh, and also the theme. I mean, come on. The guy's bleeding out of his feet the whole time. You gotta put grenadine on the bottom of the cocktail. Hell yeah. Yeah, so it's it's a good one. I like it. It's worth trying out. It's super easy to do. It takes like two alcohol ingredients. So, I mean, come on, guys. It's, it's, do yourself a favor and enjoy something nice when you watch a movie. Do yourself a favor and do the do with alcohol. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> All right. And to close out this whole shebang, John, my question to you is, why does everything have to be a franchise? Like, um, let's take let's take this movie, for example. This movie would have been fine if there just being one. Like, do you think that, you know, it should be like that where they make one good one and then they decide to make a sequel or that they should have sequels in mind already? Because it seems like that's what we do more often than not. It's like everything gets a sequel, like that stupid fucking Trolls movie is getting a goddamn sequel. And I'm like, how? Why? Other than money, how? Why? So, are you talking about Troll and Troll 2, or are you talking about Trolls like the Trolls Doll movie? The Trolls Doll movie with uh, Justin Timberlake and uh, Anna yeah. Kendrick, and it has that stupid, Can't stop the feeling! I uh, think that movie was Sing with ugly humanoids. Um, Yes, that's exactly what that movie was. They were the same movie. And I did, did they blow the budget on just having licensed music in those movies? Did, did they fire writers in lieu of just buying more licensed music. Well, the thing is, I don't even think that the music helped sell the movies at all. I haven't seen any of these things in their entirety. I see, like, bits and pieces on TV in the doctor's office, and I'm like, Jesus Christ, I cannot believe that this, so, this, someone made this, published it, and said, this will be fun for the kids. And be like, I just, oh, no, stop. I think that with this movie and this series in particular is that it's an interesting point because it's not based necessarily on a series. So this movie, Die Hard, is based on the 1979 novel Nothing Lasts Forever by Roderick Thorpe. Okay, so that's a single novel. I don't know for a fact that any of the other movies were based on any of Robert Thorpe's other work. I don't believe they were. I think it was just the further exploring the mythos of John McClane as an American badass. But I mean, like, it's just... Why does it need a sequel? Like, other than things like um, Harry Potter or Star Wars, like, things that are just demanding a sequel, like, we need to know more about this world. Like, why do we get Hot Tub Time Machine 2? Like, I I think we got it. People didn't see Hot Tub Time Machine. Got it. It's a hot tub. It's a time machine. Antics ensue. Do we need to do it again? Uh, It's a money thing. Comedy, I think, is a little different because you can do new jokes, and that's funny. You know, you can do new bits, and that's funny. And that's why you watch the movie. For something like this, it's not like that, I don't think, in that it truly just becomes like a building a world for money's sake. Because this is 
not like an independent film. This this was distributed by 20th Century Fox. So like mm-hmm. they knew what they were doing when they took a novel, made it into Wait. a movie. And holy shit! I just realized something when you said that. What's that? Disney now owns this movie. Yes, they absolutely do. So next time that you go to Disneyland, you're going to see a tower on fire, and then it's only going to be up for about a month before it gets taken down for 9-11 insensitivity. Dude, they could turn the Tower of Terror into a diehard tower of action. So what, are you just the wheelie chair full of C4 plummeting to the bottom of the elevator shaft? Hell yeah. Do you blow up when you reach the bottom? Hell yeah, you do. I I cannot believe that we sidetracked on that. So, <laughs> yes, you're right. Disney does probably now own all of the rights to Die Hard. Um, that's neither here nor there for our purposes, other than reviving the series like they have done with Star Wars. But, again, that's neither here nor there. I'm not bitter. I'm not angry about that at all. I don't have any problem with Disney at all. I would never defame the corporation at all. John, but, John, they're not listening to this. <laughs> they're, always listening. they're always listening. They own the tele. Never mind. <sighs> okay, so <laughs> to wrap up, do I think that the Die Hard series is probably more of a like a cinema cash grab than anything else? Yes. Uh, Harry Potter was based on a book series that already had sequels. Uh, we've seen things that are not like that get movies that don't have sequels. Uh, the Aragon movie, for instance, uh, had several books in the series, but only did the one movie. And um, good that yeah, that type of thing is kind of tragic because there was a lot of material to work with and they kind of boned it. Uh, but that being said, um, there are some movies that need it, some movies that deserve it. I mean, think about if they did Lord of the Rings as one movie. That would have been an injustice to the series. Um, I don't feel like this is that way. No, I mean, like, you could have left this one alone and been fine. Like, I like, I think there's a lot of horror movies doing it right now. Like, um, Jordan Peele's movies are one-offs. Like, you will never see a sequel to these movies. Like, this is it. And I think that's just fantastic like like leave me wanting to come revisit this movie not revisit this movie like all the sequels coming out i better watch this again because it ruins the watching experience right because it's just like this is now lesser yeah the sequel implies that they didn't say all that they wanted to say the first time and for narrative fiction that makes a lot of sense like stuff that is designed from day one to be that way but you take something a little bit more artistic i guess you could say some of jordan peele's stuff is am i wrong yeah a little more uh, well, I mean, all film is artistic, no matter what it is. I mean, porn is artistic in a way. But, um, you know, when you take something and you just just shake it of all that it's worth, it just ruins the whole experience. And even if, like, you know, the first one was great, the sequel sucked, it ruins the first one. Right. Like, no one's going to go, well, I don't want to say that they're not going to go see it. But no one is going to appreciate Get Out to Electric Boogaloo the same way that they appreciated Get Out. I completely agree. And I... I just wish we saw that more. I mean, there's a lot of things that are going on in like film and television right now. That's like, I just, I just want something new. Like I finished watching stranger things uh, last week. Like I made it all the way through the series. I ignored it up until now. I heard them singing the never ending story theme. And I was like, fuck, I got to get on that. And the, the, each season is just littered with just reference, like obvious references to movies. And it's like, this isn't even original. Like it's fun. It's a fun watch, but like, come on, man. Stranger Things, I feel like, specifically with Stranger Things 3 coming out, I, I think that it's all kind of a a throwback to something bygone. And that throwback film is a little bit different. So, like, with this one, it's basically like Goonies Expanded Edition. So, like, yes. <laughs> or at least that's how I viewed Stranger Things when I was watching it. And as someone who appreciated the Goonies, who only had one movie but somehow had a Goonies 2 video game, um, that's, again, neither here nor there. But I feel like it's more of a throwback cinema than anything else. But you are right. It's, I don't want to say like a plunder film, but it does have certain elements of that where it basically just references other pop culture to be relevant. But it was a time and place. So it's an artistic representation of what it might have been like to have lived in the time period in those circumstances. And that's more of a period piece from the 1980s, if you really think about it. Yeah, and that's that's what me and my girlfriend were discussing this, and that's what she said as well. Um, but anyway, I'm just I'm done with sequels. I want something original. I want something that's going to get my mind going. Hollywood, bring it. Just bring it to me. Give it to me. I want to just eat it all up. Uh, you careful what you wish for, because you just might get it. <laughs> and in two years, I'll be like, God damn it! When are they going to come out with a sequel? 
to the Land Before Time again. I need Land Before Time 10. Come on, where is it? Bro, honestly, though, I want to see more dinosaurs. Like, what happened to dinosaurs? Jurassic World was, like, a one-off. Like, we, we haven't seen any dinosaur movies in a long time outside of that. Dude, bring dinosaurs back. Dinosaurs 2020. Let's do it. I want to see what they did with cats. I want to see them do that with the Dinosaurs TV series. Uh, uh, sorry. My brain blanked because you said cats movie. By the way, we'll get off this in a minute. Who the fuck cares about cats anymore? Like, this movie not only is terrifying to look at, it is also fucking 30 years too late. And also, why couldn't they just fucking put them in cat makeup? That was the whole point of the movie. You know what? I'm, I digress. We'll save it for another time. Okay, because what you're asking for by saying that is an entire movie of Jim Carrey's Cat and Hat. No, not Jim Carrey. Who the heck was that? Jesus. Mike Myers. <laughs> Mike Myers. All right. Edit point. Basically, what you're asking for by saying that is I want an entire movie of Mike Myers' Cat in the Hat. And I already got that. And you know what? Underrated. It's horrible. It's stupid. It looks weird. It's terrifying. It is so memeable. Love that movie. We're going to do it. You know what? I've seen it, but we're going to do that one day. Mark my words. Dude, Cat in the Hat 2020. We're doing it. All right. I think that's going to be about all the time we have here for your information. I'm Zach. And I'm John. All right. Have a great time, guys. Bye.